the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we'll end our Earth Week discussions with the biggest green energy idea of all, complete elimination of carbon sources for our grid. Is a carbon-free future possible? Is it close? And what do we need to move affirmatively in that direction? Then we're going to hear about an effort in Highland Park to move away from big utilities and toward power generated locally and cleaner. It's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Good day, happy Earth Day, and welcome to Detroit Today. 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. So if you ask a lot of scientists, they would say that the time for switching to a carbon-neutral world is actually running out. They say if we don't transition and transition fast, we are not going to be able to stop the world from warming by two or even three degrees. And that much warming would be absolutely catastrophic, cataclysmic, in fact, for human existence on the planet and devastating for many other species as well. But everything that we need to prevent that warming from happening is already here with us, a lot of it sitting right in front of our faces. We have the technology to harness energy from the sun, from the wind, from water. And with these tools in full use, we could reach carbon neutrality in maybe a decade. It's only our politics, the way we communicate and cooperate, our culture that's holding us back. There is, of course, precedence for us scaling up our efforts to fight a collective enemy. In World War II, we put all of our weight behind the idea of defeating fascism. Folks at the nonprofit Rewiring America say we need that same kind of effort now, applied to eliminating our carbon footprint. Founder of that organization, Saul Griffith, wrote a book called Electrify, which goes into detail about how we get from where we are now to the idea of not drawing any of our energy needs from carbon sources. A little later in the program today, we're gonna to talk with two Highland Park residents who are putting ideas related to that book into action in their own community. Really inspiring story about what is going on in one of the most difficult and hard hit jurisdictions here in Southeast Michigan. But before we get to that conversation, as part of our Earth Week series, we're gonna talk with Ari Matusiak, uh, who is the CEO and co-founder of Rewiring America, about what it would take to electrify our grid and stop using carbon as fast as possible. Ari, welcome to the program. Thank you, wonderful being here. You all argue that we can electrify our entire grid, that it's not the technology that's holding us back, but the politics that are getting in our way. But we will have to change a lot in order to do that. So let's start here. How do you even know that this is possible? And how do you know that we can attain this transition in a relatively short period of time? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me on the program and happy Earth Day to you and all your listeners. Um, I, I guess where I would just start is to, is to put this into terms that are relevant for folks in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, when you look at the U.S. economy overall, um, uh, about 90% of our energy emission, of our emissions come from our, the generation and consumption of energy. 
yes, the cows are an, an important part of it, but really uh, the vast, vast majority of our emissions come from energy generation and consumption. And of course, historically, we've thought about that from the perspective of the power plants and what kind of energy is being uh, produced, i.e., uh, whether it's fossil fuel or electricity um, uh, based, um, but but in but at the end of the day, all of those uh, all of that power is going to machines that we use in our day to day lives, where we live and work and learn and play and pray. And if you just think about our households, forty two percent of our energy related emissions come from decisions we make at our kitchen table what kind of cars we drive, how we heat our air and water in our homes, how we cook our food, how we dry our clothes. And there are a billion machines across the 121 million households uh, that we all live in um, that comprise that 42% of our energy-related emissions. So if you think about it that way, um, there is a massive opportunity to get to uh, to address our emissions footprint just by decarbonizing the machines we use in our day-to-day lives. And our argument for that is that the only way to do that is by electrifying those machines. Hmm. And what is it that, again, is holding us back? I mean, you say politics, and, and I, I imagine um, some specific things when, when I hear that word, but uh, put more meat to the bone for us. What, what is preventing us, if it's that simple, from doing more of this and moving faster? Sure. Uh, I, I think there's, um, there's, a, there's a really, frankly, micro way to think about this, which is how we all make decisions about the machines that we use in our day-to-day lives. Um, first of all, we don't change those machines very often. Um, you don't buy a new car very frequently. You don't buy a furnace or a water heater frequently, a new cooktop or a new dryer. And when um, they are working just fine, you don't really think about them. Um, and maybe save for the car and the cooktop, um, uh, people don't have real hard opinions about um, what kinds of brands or appliances they want to purchase. Um, said another way, if your shower is warm when you when you take it in the morning, you think your water heater is great. If your shower is cold, your water heater is a problem. Um, and that is sort of right in that sort of example is uh, where I think part of the rub lies because um, we don't think about these machines. I've yet to meet anyone who says to me that they're waiting for that new model of the water heater to come out so they can upgrade next year. Um, and so these are not top of mind um, decisions for, uh, for, for households and consumers. And as a result, um, uh, when the time comes to replace a furnace or a water heater, it is usually in a time of immediate need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there isn't a lot of planning associated with the uh, climate opportunity or the carbon reduction opportunity associated with the choice that you make to take a hot shower again or keep your family warm. Um, and so one of the big barriers is just making it such that the default appliances that we get, the ones that are the most affordable and convenient, are the clean electric ones. Um, but that's a, that's, a, that's a market transformation that needs to occur. Yeah. And you say that this is going to cost about $70,000 per American household, which is a pretty daunting number for most people when they sit and think about it. Um, so, so talk about how we would pay for all of that and how do we ramp this thing up without breaking the bank, causing some enormous deficit or debt or, or putting too much of the burden on individuals? Yeah, that's a great question. That $70,000 number re- reflects the, um, uh, the all-in cost of, of these upgrades. Um, but a couple things are important. Um, those upgrades don't happen all at once, and they are related to machines that we um, will use in our day-to-day lives. So when your furnace conks out, um, you're not going to... Uh, make the decision to go without a furnace next time around, certainly not in Detroit. Um, and so um, so we're talking about purchases that households make. 
um, and we're and what we're really talking about associated to the uh, to, to the electric machines um, is to ensure that the that the delta between the the cost of the efficient electric machine and the incumbent incumbent fossil fuel machine that we get rid of that delta so that it becomes again that the most affordable option for you um, is that uh, is that efficient electric machine so. So what, what that then means is a couple of things. One, we can um, create front-end incentives in the form of rebates or tax credits to bring down the cost of those machines. Um, we can also think about um, uh, leveraging the fact that, that oftentimes these purchases are financed and these machines last a very long time. Um, and so that creates an opportunity to, to bring down the cost in terms of how how American households pay for these machines as they replace the ones that are that they that need replacing. Um, but then the third thing is just that, as we've seen in every other example of industrial scale, as we make more and more of something, uh, the cost on a unit basis comes down, and that's really important because uh, we need to achieve an industrial scale um, uh, of these efficient electric machines. Which will, in and of itself, bring the bring the cost, the unit cost, down for American families, and that is um, made even more true uh, because the, in actuality, um, an efficient electric household will will cost less to operate than one that is powered by fossil fuels. So, if we can solve the front end cost problem um, uh, through some of the measures that I just mentioned. Um, then households and across the United States will end up saving money on their energy bills month over month. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Ari Matusiak. He is the co-founder and CEO of Rewiring America, a nonprofit that's focused on electrifying America's grid. We're talking on Earth Day about the possibility of removing our grid entirely from carbon sources, uh, from the pollutants that are helping to warm the planet uh, and really threaten not only our existence uh, on Earth, but uh, lots of other species as well. Uh, we're talking about the possibilities of moving to uh, a greener way of keeping our lights on and driving our cars and all the other things that we use energy for. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us what you think it'll take to dramatically reduce or eliminate our carbon outputs. Uh, what do we need to do? What will be required of companies, of governments, of our communities, and of ourselves uh, as individuals? Uh, what do you think is the most viable path? toward a world without carbon emissions, and what would you be willing to do? What would you maybe be willing to sacrifice in order to achieve that? Do you think this is a goal that's worth some level of personal sacrifice in order to help achieve? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Also, give us a sense of what you may already be doing, uh, things you may already have changed in your life <clears throat> as a way of making sure that your carbon footprint is shrinking rather than growing. Uh, are you experimenting with solar panels? Uh, do you drive an EV? Are you looking into purchasing an EV? What are the things that run through your mind as ways that you can help uh, with this crisis? As always, again, the uh, number is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, Ari, you are giving us a 10-year window which would take us uh, about to 2030 uh, by your calculations. Uh, tell us why that year makes sense, why that window is so important. The, the reason for the window is because the machines we're talking about last a really long time, 15, 20, 25 years on average. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we are going to um, have any shot at zeroing out our emissions, 
and staying um, inside of two degrees Celsius warming, let alone one and a half degrees Celsius warming, which are the benchmark numbers, um, the, the benchmark warming numbers for us to um, have a basically a habitable planet for, for all of us. Um, then we, we need to ensure that, um, that these machines, as they are retired, are replaced with efficient electric ones. And it is quite simply um, uh, a math-based analysis, which is to say that if we push out the window um, by which every machine that is installed and re- replaced in the U.S. and across the world um, uh, if we push out the window um, until they become efficient electric machines, um, then you are losing the the battle of time with respect to the replacement cycle of those machines. Um, so if we've got uh, sort of a call it a 20 year average in terms of the useful life of those machines, mm-hmm. 2030 becomes very important because um uh, after that time, we push out beyond um, beyond 2050, where those fossil fuel machines are going to be um, in in use. Yeah, yeah, and and this idea of electrifying, I think, argues that these technological changes won't change our personal lives too much. One of the things that we've talked about several times this week is the concept that we could make these changes. Uh, to alternative sources of energy without making much sacrifice in terms of the consumption of that energy, that that we could live our lives pretty much as we do now, but not be relying on sources that are so um, that are so polluting. So is this is is that the right way to be thinking about that? Or should we also be thinking about the idea of energy sacrifice that uh, maybe we use too much and people ought to be thinking of ways to conserve. Yeah, I think so. One of the reasons why um, we are so passionate about the agenda of electrifying everything is that it is both feasible and optimistic. Um, and, And it is one that is about improving the baseline experience for American families and communities, not, um, not sort of, uh, it's not a narrative of adaptation or sacrifice. So, um, just think about it. I mean, this is, uh, a Detroit, uh, a Detroit based program. Um, just think about cars for, as a, for instance, um, Ford is rolling out its, uh, F-150 Lightning. Um, it is, uh, the most iconic, arguably, um, automobile in the United States. Um, and it is a, um, and it's the most popular selling car in the United States. And the F-150 Lightning looks a lot like the F-150, um, but it's a better car. Hmm. Um, it is faster. It's more powerful. Um, it can power your house for three days. Um, it can do all of these things that the, um, that the combustion, combustion engine uh, Ford F-150 cannot do. Um, and so uh, it's still an F-150. It's still iconic, uh, but it's a better car. And that is true when you think about it from the perspective of um, heat pumps in place of furnaces and water heaters, induction cooktops in place of gas um, uh, stoves, um, uh, electric dryers, heat pump dryers instead of uh, gas dryers. Uh, these machines are better, um, and they uh, will they create um, a healthier, more comfortable, more efficient, and more fun sort of lifestyle for American families and households. Now, um, and that's important because I think we need to meet folks where they are. Uh, if you come to them, if you come to people with a narrative about everything that they're going to have to give up in order to live in the world, that that is not a very compelling um, uh, sales proposition and value proposition. If you come to them with an opportunity to make their lives better, uh, and consistent with what they already experience, then, you know, that's more compelling. That said, of course, you know, uh, using less stuff um, and using less energy is always, um, is always going to be a part of the, of the uh, should, should be part of the consideration and solution. But here's the thing. Electric machines use a lot less energy than uh, internal combustion engine or fossil mm-hmm. fuel machines. 
Um, in fact, electric machines are the most energy efficient strategy we could possibly have. The U.S. economy uses 100 quads of energy. That, that means it uses a lot. <laughs> uh, 100 quads of energy to power the U.S. economy. If we electrified everything in the U.S. economy, we would triple electricity demand, which is uh, significant. But we would cut the amount of energy we use as an economy in half. And the reason for that is because those electric machines are so much more efficient than the fossil fuel machines they will replace. Yeah, yeah. Okay, coming up, we're going to continue this really interesting conversation about electrifying the grid, removing it from carbon sources of energy as a way of helping to save the planet. We're talking about that here on Earth Day at the end of Earth Week, where we've had a number of really interesting conversations about green technologies and their promise. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get to your part of the conversation on social media and on the phones. Calvin and Julie in Detroit, you'll be up first. We've got a number of social media comments in queue as well. If you want to join, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Ari Matusiak. He is CEO, CEO and co-founder of Rewiring America, a nonprofit that's focused on electrifying America's grid. It is Earth Day, of course, the end of Earth Week, and we've had a number of conversations about really interesting technologies that could help us lower our carbon footprint. Uh, today, we're talking about zeroing it out, essentially, taking uh, the, the, the sources of the carbon sources of energy out of the picture altogether uh, and making our lives powered uh, by electricity. I want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think it will take to dramatically reduce or eliminate our carbon outputs? Uh, what will we need to do as communities, as individuals, what do you think stands in the way of us doing those things? Um, and give us a sense of the kinds of things that you may already be doing that will lower the carbon footprint. Uh, lots of people I know are experimenting with a lot of different things and trying things out as a way of saying, hey, I can use less energy or I can uh, use less energy that is uh, polluting. Uh, as always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work into the conversation. I want to start with some social media comments here. Lila on Twitter says, so frustrating. Stop manufacturing the bad machines, and there is no point in replacing a gas gas furnace if Detroit is powered uh, by coal. Uh, Ed on Twitter says, uh, I made a gray and rainwater system. Uh, this is a system that would take uh, wastewater from your house as well as rainwater from outside and, and reuse it for things. Uh, he says, every gallon of water use equals CO2. Uh, Carl on Twitter says, as a kid, my dad was always on us to turn out the lights, not because of the environment, but to save money. That's the key. Make fossil fuel energy much more expensive, and people will choose cheaper and cleaner alternatives. Europe has imposed a really high tax on gas for years. That is a, a very good example. Uh, let's start on the phones with Julie in Detroit. Julie, what's on your mind? Hello. Hi. I just well, hi. I just wanted to pose a open question um, that I feel like isn't always talked about. Is just you know what have the native people of this region done um, for so so many years? I know that they didn't have furnaces back then, or refrigerators, or any, like a lot of this other stuff. So 
I just feel like that's a really valuable question to keep in our minds and um, maybe, you know, try to somehow work into our lives more. Hmm. Uh, Julie, I really appreciate the call and the the open question. Um, you know, Ari, we, we have been talking about uh, the idea of changing the sources of our energy as a way of being cleaner. And, and we talked just briefly about uh, conservation and, and cutting back. Uh, but I do, um, I do wonder if, uh, if you can talk more about examples, I guess, of conservation or uh, change in behavior and what role that ought to play. Sure. Um, yeah, it's a really important question. I think um, one thing I would say is that one there there are a couple of ways that conservation ties into electrification. I mentioned one a minute ago, which is just that electric machines are so much more efficient than fossil fuel machines. They use less energy. Um, so you immediately have this um, conservation component to just the machines that we use. Um, and so as long as folks are going to be buying refrigerators and cars and furnaces and the, and the whatnot, um, we should ensure that they are as efficient as they can possibly be. And we've been sort of trained on this over the years to think about energy efficiency and buying kind of a more efficient um, uh, fossil fuel machine. So you have those energy star stamps that folks are, are familiar with probably mm-hmm. that are on the appliances that we buy. And that's just basically a standard that the federal government has developed to say this machine is more efficient than a machine that doesn't have the stamp. And there are different sort of levels of Energy Star. The problem, and that's good, but the problem with that in the, from a climate perspective is that as long as it's a fossil fuel machine, it is going to be making much more emissions. It's going to be making emissions as opposed to the capability of what an electric machine can do. So just, I just want to stress how important the reformatting um, sort of uh, transition is, that we need to move off of a fossil fuel baseline to an electrified baseline. Once you do that, um, it actually opens up really exciting possibilities for further conservation. So if you think about it from the perspective of the, of the machines in your home, if everything has plugs and not pipes, you can start to have those machines work together and your house can work together with your neighbor's house as a, for instance, in a, in a future state said another way, we become all become part of the climate infrastructure. So um, your, your heat pump water heater can be heated um, at a different time of day uh, than when you need it, uh, than when you need to use it to take a shower. Why is that important? Because if you, if you heat it uh, in early in the morning or late at night, you will still have hot water when you take your shower, but it will use much less energy and have much less load on the grid and cost less to you if you uh, time it differently. That is itself kind of a form of energy conservation. And so, um, so I, we think about it as, a, as in terms of these machines opening up a lot of opportunity for uh, the kind of conservation uh, habits that we need to have in have in place, um, and then and then the just sort of the reality of it is, I think we do need to have a cultural conversation about how we consume things um, and uh, being better about uh, the consumption choices that we make. Um, but unless we get change that baseline from a fossil fuel one to an electrified one. Um, the conservation measures that we take will not be sufficient to get us where we need to go on climate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Julie, really provocative question, and uh, I really love that you called uh, and asked that. Uh, Calvin in Detroit, you're up next. Calvin, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, the thing that uh, the question that seems to bother me the most, I was listening to a, a renowned environmentalist here recently, and the guy said uh, that even if every home in the world were to paste solar panels on the rooftops, that it wouldn't matter. According to this guy, he said it's too late. With the uh, uh, milking of the solar caps and the consequences of all that, uh, he said that we have about 80 years before all the shoreline and island nations in the world are just over flooded. 
So, I mean, I'd like to hear the, uh, uh, the response to that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, Calvin, I think that's a really great question because I think, um, you know, the, the, the question of agency, I think, is what you're getting at and, and how much we have uh, or could it even have over the, over the things that have already taken place, you know, the warming that's already happened, um, the things that you pointed out that are really difficult challenges right now. So uh, Ari Matusiak, talk about whether these, these terms like too late uh, have real application to the discussion that we're having. Yeah. Well, Calvin, thank you so much for, for listening and for your question. Um, it is not too late. Um, and, and part of our whole reason for being is that, uh, is to, is to make sure we all understand how much agency we actually do have in uh, determining our collective future. Um, because, the reality is if we switch out, if we electrify everything in the economy, switch out all these machines and have and have uh, instead um, appliances that we use in our day to day life um, uh, that uh, that are that aren't creating emissions. Um, what that does is it stops the warming of the earth. Um, so the good news is uh, that once we stop uh, creating emissions, uh, the earth will stop warming. It'll take a while for it to, you know, uh, adjust back down, so to speak. But what's critical in the, in the next 10 years, 20 years, um, is that we stop the warming trends. And that really comes back to the decisions that we make around our kitchen tables and in our communities. Uh, because it turns out that the machines that we use in our day-to-day lives are the biggest contributors to, uh, to our climate footprint. Um, emissions um, uh, of anything. Said another way, there is no way we can stop the earth from warming unless we electrify the machines in our day-to-day lives. Hmm. And, isn't, um, yeah. go, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say there's no way to do it other than that. And I, I want to emphasize that you're saying if we do do it, it will make a difference. Uh, it, we, we, we do have some control. Yeah, and I think I think you know this is I think historically, the climate conversation has is just so overwhelming and disconnected from people's day to day lives. You know, it sounds like, oh, these people in Washington are need to make a decision, or they're not making a decision. There's nothing I can do about that. Or some scientist is working on some breakthrough technology. Well, that's cool, but I don't have any role in that. Um, or you're telling me I'm going to have to sacrifice everything and, uh, and totally change my lifestyle. Um, you know, I, how to, I don't even know how to respond to that. So typically the climate conversation has, has broken down in a way where um, everyday folks just feel like they're not a part of it. Um, and our message is that you absolutely are. Um, and it's about the infrastructure that you have in your life how you heat your homes, how you heat your water, how you cook your food, how you dry your clothes, the kind of cars you drive, or how you get to and fro, uh, to and from where you're going. That stuff matters, it turns out, the most when it comes to our, uh, to our climate future. Um, so it is actually um, a really empowering story from our perspective. And what we need to do is make sure that our policymakers um, are helping us contribute. Uh, so that you can uh, participate in the solution, um, which, by the way, is going to um, give you better stuff and help you save money on your bills. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, really appreciate the call and the question. Let's go to Karen in Macomb County next. Karen, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks Hi. for uh, thanks for having me on. Um, well. I just can't, um, you know, not address the uh, the critical need to um, um, get people to understand how desperately we all really need to do our part in going vegan to save the planet. Um, you know, between the factory um, farms and the slaughterhouses, they are not only is there all this sickening animal cruelty, but just the way they're destroying the environment. And then also the rainforest is being destroyed 
for cattle. Um, it's, you know, there's soil erosion, there's, you know, water pollution. People who live nearby these, um, you know, factory farms, their, their water is just polluted. Um, there's the stench in the air, so you've got air pollution. And people just, they, hmm. it's like they're oblivious. It's like, and I want to quote what Sir Paul McCartney said. And he said, if slaughterhouses had glass windows, we would all be vegetarian. And I also <laughs> right, want to address see, yeah. the, the slaughterhouses, <clears throat> excuse me, and the factory farms, they're never going to go green. They have zero desire or zero intention to do anything in regards to green energy. Yeah. Um, so, so Karen, I, I, I love the call and I love uh, a lot of what you're saying. I have to say, I'm somebody who's not vegan and uh, has a hard time with the idea of giving up meat uh, and and other kinds of uh, food that that is not produced in a way that's uh, carbon neutral. Uh, Ari Matusiak, how big a part of the picture are our diets uh, and and the, the 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 food industrial complex? I guess that we've built in uh, in America to make sure that uh, you know we all have have meat to eat? Uh, uh, great question and an important one. I, I think um, the, how our diets, our food, you know, that whole, uh, that whole life cycle um, is obviously um, important for, uh, on a number of levels. Karen talked about it, not just from a climate perspective, but also from, you know, frankly, from an equity perspective, um, and those are really important considerations. And there, and there is an emissions uh, impact to um, uh, to the production of uh, food, um, you know, of, of meat and, and dairy and the rest. Um, the 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 reality, though, is that uh, the vast vast majority of our emissions come from the generation and consumption of energy. Um, and that 90% of our emissions are really related to that. Hmm. And so, um, while the, uh, while the sort of the food supply chain is, um, is a, is a really important part of the picture, um, it is, um, not anywhere near as big a part of the picture as, uh, the, the cars we drive, how we eat our air and water, cook our food and dry our clothes. Um, and so, um, so I think it's, it's important that we sort of keep the whole picture in mind. Um, and, and remember that all these pieces are important because at the end we need to get to zero. We don't need to get to 10%. Um, so, uh, so we need to do, we need to have sort of an all of the, you know, sort of an all encompassing approach and strategy. But, but just to say that the, um, that the, the, by far biggest driver of our emissions comes from the generation and consumption of our energy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Ari Matusiak, uh, it was great to have you here with us on Detroit today uh, to talk about electrifying the grid. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Happy birthday again. Coming up, we are going to continue to talk about electrifying the grid, and we're going to localize the conversation in Highland Park, a hard-hit community here in southeast Michigan. We're going to talk with someone who's working on a Highland Park project to bring green energy to that city. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So, not everybody is waiting for the government or a corporation to solve our climate problems. There are some people working in their neighborhoods, in their communities, to change our grid and spread green technology. Highland Park is ground zero in Michigan for a lot of this work. After DTE removed its lights in the city, local residents came together to find a solution. 
With the group Solidarity, they have been installing solar-powered streetlights with Wi-Fi generating capacity. But their work is far from over. To talk more about this, we have DeAngelis Garcia, who is the group's communications strategist with us, um, uh, to talk about what they are doing in Highland Park. DeAngelis, welcome to uh, Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So uh, let's talk about how Solidarity got started. That that line in what I just was saying about um, DTE removing its lights. Uh, how did that happen and why? Oh, man. So um, a couple of years ago, actually about 10 years ago now, Solidarity will be celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year. Uh, so in 2011, when cities in Michigan were being threatened and then actually undergoing uh, emergency financial management to uh, to bring their their cities or their municipalities into into correct economic standing, Highland Park was one of those cities that uh, that received an emergency financial manager, um, and. Uh, through that emergency financial management and negotiations with DTE, the uh, the course of action that they decided to come up with to help Highland Park settle a debt with DTE was for DTE to remove the municipal street lights, uh, and so that was 1,000 street lights uh, re- removed from the city of Highland Park, and and not just disconnected in the year 2011, which literally left Highland Park residents in the dark. And so that was the genesis of Solidarity's work. Yeah. And so what, what's interesting, I think, about this is you not only started to think about, well, how do we get power uh, back to the streetlights, um, but you started to think about whether they could be powered in a cleaner way and whether they could solve some other problems if you could power them uh, in the city. So, So talk about the... I guess the reach of what Solidarity is trying to accomplish. So the reach of what Solidarity is trying to accomplish is so again we we're we're reaching uh, our tenth year, and in that time we've installed uh, seventeen solar power street lights. Uh, in the in recent years, we started to outfit them with mesh Wi-Fi capability, uh, which has become extremely important in the. Uh, in post-pandemic living, when everybody is working from home and schooling from home and things like that. And so uh, Highland Park was one of those areas that, you know, not only uh, was, I don't want to say victim, but they were, they, they were the most impacted. They were the most impacted by, by DTE's practices. And then also just like really being uh, a really poor receptivity area for for any type of tele- cellular or telecommunication. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to start to provide that, but again, that was 1,000 streetlights removed, and so we were really proud to to be able to to have those 17 installed throughout throughout Highland Park over the last 10 years. Uh, but now we're really excited to start turning our attention towards a, um, a, a mass install program that's going to help us uh, install at least 20 more lights over the next few years. I'm sorry, over the next year. Hmm. And so, so that we could start to start to explore ways to, uh, to not only uh, bring or replace those solar power street lights, but to also uh, help Highland Park become 100% of energy independent. Yeah. I mean, in so fact, you guys talk a lot about the idea of this being energy democracy. I love that phrase. Um, this 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 really is about giving individuals in that community more of a stake in what uh, what energy they have access to, what energy that uh, the city generates, and what other things uh, can come from it. Yeah, I think one of the really cool things about even the phrase energy democracy is that they're both really powerful terms in their own right as far as, you know, discussing a type of power. But where democracy is concerned, uh, as far as our government philosophy, we know that democracy is meant to put the power in the hands of the people. And so we believe that the same should be true. And consistent across the board, uh, including how our energy is supplied. 
I'm talking with DeAngelis Garcia, uh, who works with Solidarity, uh, a nonprofit in Highland Park. Uh, he's the communication strategist uh, with that organization. We're talking about what's going on in Highland Park with energy independence, uh, with democratizing uh, access to energy, and of course, uh, the move to greener sources uh, of energy. Love to hear from you uh, during the conversation as well. What are you doing to climate to combat climate change? Uh, how are you working with folks in your community or your neighborhood to try to shrink our carbon footprint? Are you help, part of a community garden? Are you trying to plant more trees? Are you pushing for community solar power or getting together with others to push our representatives to advocate for green technology uh, and green jobs? Want to hear about what that looks like uh, in your world? Three one three. 577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, to Facebook and to Twitter. Put comments there and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Malcolm in Midtown. Malcolm, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Um, I just, I guess this question more pertained to your last guest, but I think it still sort of is relatable. Um, I'm just a little concerned about the, the framing of where the responsibility falls um, and like the individuality of it, because I feel like you kind of run into the same problem of like people not voting, where the individual sort of feels like like your average person kind of feels like, what can I do, you know, to really, what is what are my actions actually going to help? It's very you know fractional, and pretty small. So I don't know. I just feel like there needs to be more top-down emphasis hmm. as far as responsibility goes, whether that be you know corporations cutting their their uh their use of uh yeah. you know fossil fuels and everything or you know the government maybe updating infrastructure in green ways you know i don't really know how much individuals can do and i think a lot of people sort of feel the same way where it's like you know what can i do to really you help? feel a little helpless yeah i i appreciate the call malcolm um but DeAngelis, I want to give you a chance to talk about that feeling of helplessness or empowerment. And I guess uh, to address Malcolm's point, do you do you at Solidarity feel like what you're doing could never quite be enough to to change uh, carbon output or to change uh, you know who has access to to energy, or do you feel like you're building something? Um, that will ultimately be quite quite meaningful to, to to the residents of to all the residents maybe of Highland Park. Okay, so I think so. First of all, thanks again, thank you, Malcolm, for the question. And I think that there are a few different ways to answer that. But some of the things that come to mind because I, uh, uh, he's absolutely right, or you're absolutely right, Malcolm, that uh, that the the corporations and the legislation that, you know, that benefits from, you know, from their lobbying and their influence uh, should do more to to care for, you know, one, the people, because, you know, the earth is important and we, we could not be here without it, literally. But, you know, we, the, the, the earth, we believe, is here for people to enjoy. And so anytime people have to go without, you know, we're limiting their right to enjoyment and something as, uh, as, as grave enough to be referred to as a utility because of because of how we use it and literally because of how it infiltrates every part of our lifestyle. Hmm. Uh, solidarity believes that you know part of our uh, responsibility in becoming self determining is also uh, advocating for ourselves, and that does mean at the at the state level and and you know through whatever uh, legislation or governing boards you know are available for for us to make comments. But one of the the prior, uh, primary ways that we do that is by participating in intervention rate cases with the MPSC, which is the Michigan Public Service Commission, and that is the the governing entity that uh, that evaluates and approves uh, DCE rate hikes. And so their job is to make sure that that rate rate hikes are within reason, but our, you know, immediate position is that, you know, any type of rate hike is rate hike is unreasonable uh, because they are already big utility, are already in excess profit and the systems have not been upgraded and they are actually some of 
you know, some of the some of the poorest in the country as far as performing. And so yeah. uh, we we've we've taken the responsibility of being in coalition with other environmental justice organizations, you know, who want to submit public comment and rally the community so that they can be heard as well uh, when these uh, when these rape cases come up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Dan in Bagley uh, here in Detroit. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, go ahead. I wanted to comment a little bit about um, tree planting in Detroit. Yes, uh, the greening of Detroit will be planting, um, handing out free trees from 11 to 1 today. And uh, in my neighborhood, Bagley, we have most of our trees cut down. On my street, there's no mature trees. But in University District right next door, they have the beautiful treescaped, um, you know, streets there. And mm-hmm. people are happier and healthier with mature trees around them. So yeah. just encouraging so, everyone to plant more trees. So, so, Dan, I want to get the details. Where, where should people go if they're interested in getting a free tree today from Greening of Detroit? Yeah, look up Greening Detroit. It's on McNichols on the west side. Mm-hmm. And um, they'll be handing out. Hundreds of trees today, uh, between eleven and one. Yeah, uh, excellent, uh, excellent yeah, idea, awesome. and uh, great opportunity for people who are looking for a way to be part of the solution. Okay, uh, DeAngelis Garcia of Solidarity, uh, really great uh, to have you here uh, to talk about what's going on in Highland Park. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. That's going to do it for us this week. Come back Monday when we are going to talk with our old friend, State Representative Mallory McMorrow, about this viral floor speech, which beat back really flagrant Republican accusations uh, that Democrats want to do some really awful things. Millions of people have watched uh, this speech and really rallied to her cause. We'll ask her about uh, what is going on in Lansing. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.